This is episode number 105 with Brady Shearer. Welcome to the Practical Christian Podcast. My name is Travis Albritton, your friendly neighborhood Bible teacher. And every day, we'll dive into the tips, tricks, and hacks that you can implement in your daily life to become a more effective Christian. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump in to your daily dose of Practical Christian Training. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome interview episode here on the Practical Christian Podcast. Today, my special guest is the founder of Pro Church Tools. Uh, Right after coming out of college, Brady decided he wanted to start a company devoted to helping churches leverage technology to connect their members and share the gospel in their community. And uh, I've been a a huge fan of everything he's been doing, building Pro Church Tools from a distance and uh, interacting with some of their content. And so I was very excited to have him on. Some things that you'll hear us talk about today are why churches have to innovate, why it's no longer an option for us to keep the status quo. We'll talk about two strategies for sharing your faith online, and uh, you don't have to be in the full-time ministry to use these. Every single one of us can use these strategies and be effective. And then also, how to maintain a healthy identity in Christ when ministry is your job. So many great takeaways from this interview. I'm so happy I get to share this conversation with you guys. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Brady Shearer. Well, Brady, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast with me. I am very, very excited to be able to sit across from you and, and chat for a little bit. Great to be here, Travis. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Absolutely. So for those that are listening that aren't familiar with you and what you've been doing up in the big CA, uh, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your company, Pro Church Tools? Yeah. So my name is Brady Shearer. I live in Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada, and I run a company called Pro Church Tools, online prochurchtools.com. And it's a company that I started in Bible college. I went to school to be a student pastor, was convinced I was going to work with youth. And that's how I'm formally trained. I've got my degree in theology and student ministry. But about halfway through studying, I realized that full-time on staff church service wasn't something that I think I was going to thrive and excel in, but I still wanted to serve churches. Anytime I've tried to do something outside of the church world, Travis, it has failed miserably or I've lost passion for it quite quickly. So call it a calling, call it a curse, whatever it might be. I cannot not serve churches. And so I was working at a church about, of about a hundred small church plants in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, going to Bible college, the most Northern major metropolis in North America. So if you've ever seen like the show Ice Road Truckers, like it was filmed there. <laughs> winter all the time, not safe driving, snow everywhere, never plowed roads, terrifying. But I realized that I was learning all these skills as the media director at my church because I'd been thrust into this role that I wasn't really particularly prepared for, but my pastor said, hey, I, we see something in you and we think that you're going to be the right person for this. And so I was learning graphic design, uh, videography, web design, social media, and I was like, you know what? I'm not learning these skills in Bible college. And, and I'm, I've only been out of Bible college a couple of years now. And I think these skills are the types of skills that all churches are going to need. And if I can learn them, so can you. And so Pro Church Tools began out of that idea of teaching others these skills and, and learning 
how to manage digital and the internet and everything that we do, Travis, can be summed up in three words, seize the 167. Basically, to unpack that, there's 168 hours every week. Church is just about one of those hours. And so that means we have 167 hours beyond our Sunday services where we can be reaching our community and our congregation and fulfilling our church's mission and vision and and purpose. And it doesn't need to just be on a live event. We can now go to the people rather than just demanding they come to us. A hundred percent. You're speaking my language, Brady. I love it. Um, Now, when you if you look at your website now, you have quite the catalog of resources, but tell me about when you first started out. What was that first product or that first service that you put together and said, all right, I'm striking out on my own. I'm going to try and create something to help the churches around me. What, what was that product or service and, and what was it like trying to get that off the ground? Yeah, the first thing we did was really video related. So I created this series of free videos on YouTube youtube.com slash pro church tools. You can find them and watching someone's first videos are fun. So if you want to see a person, a young Brady who does not know what he's doing and for some reason keeps putting his chin upwards towards the sky because he doesn't know how to talk on camera. These are the videos for you. But basically I was learning how to shoot videos for my church and I was learning all these things like exposure and, and aperture and ISO and framing composition and lens choice, focal length. And so I created these 40 free videos that I shot over a summer called the church video series. And they're still up there on YouTube. Like I said, getting hits every day. And and it was teaching how to learn the fundamentals, the basics of videography. And so that was the free content that we were creating. And and pro church tools has always been founded Travis on, on free content. 90% of the people in our audience are never going to give us a dime, which I'm so proud of because it allows us to serve churches that maybe can't afford or aren't ready to spend on the type of resources that we offer. You know, we've got a free daily podcast, videos, articles, and all of these free resources that no strings attached. Like we just want to help your church. And so the, but when it came to the first paid product, similarly along the lines of video, we created this product called ProVideoAnnouncements.com. And basically, we were creating, and still do to this day, weekly video announcements for churches. So churches would log into our dashboard and send us their announcements via script form. And then our talent would get on camera, film them, we'd edit them all up and, and send them out. And so we do that for about 100 to 150 churches each weekend now. And we don't have as much of a focus on that product, but we still serve churches in that way. Uh, but from day one, that was the first product uh, that I ever offered. And uh, at the time, I was just in a one-bedroom apartment, 14th floor, newly married. We had a green screen that was collapsible in a little zip-up bag. So I'd, I'd, I'd pop up that green screen and set up my camera and my you know $40 cowboy lights from Amazon and and then I'd film my announcements, no teleprompter. I had to memorize the entire scripts. And then it was time to eat dinner. So you got to collapse the green screen, zip it back up, put it in storage and eat dinner with your new wife of the first year. So interesting life that we live in. And video has been a constant really since day one. Yeah, there's nothing quite like bootstrapping it and just trying to make it happen. Yes, sir. How, how were So the first time I heard that that was something that you guys did, recording announcements for other churches, my initial reaction was, how would I feel if we had paid professionals that weren't members of our congregation telling us about things that were going on in our church? Did you get some, or what was it like trying to convince churches that not only was this a worthwhile investment, that it was actually going to be helpful for them? I think there's really two responses to that for churches that are bigger than two to 300. uh, Those types of churches have enough people that you wouldn't know every single person that attended. So it wasn't really a problem for them. 
I did have to work exceptionally hard, though, on removing all the Canadian isms from my accent. So, you know, saying resource instead of resource or saying foyer instead of foyer and, and, and learning all these uh, bizarre, different pronunciations of American towns. Like I could not get Mobile, Alabama for the life of me for like three months. I was like, Mobile, Alabama. They're like, no. And I was like, okay, Mobile, Alabama. Like, no, I'm like, Mobile? Like, no, it's Mobile. And I was like, what? I can't say that. I, and, and I'd say, and like, no, it's still not it. Correctly, not quite. Anyway, so the other thing is like for smaller churches, you know, with all things, there's going to be that transition period. So there's going to be a couple of weeks where people are like, oh, who's Brady? And, and, and why is he doing our announcements? And then you can tell them why and, and what's up. And then in a couple of weeks, it's, it's normal and it's part of your culture. And so, you know, at the end of the day, if you think there are, there's value in video announcements for your church, like anything, there's going to be transition. There's going to be a little bit of a change period. And then once you're through that, for most churches at that size, it's kind of like having your own dedicated, you know, church news person. And, and everyone knows me and churches have flown me out now to like meet their churches in person and do live announcements. And that's always fun. And, and so it, there is a bit of a transition period sometimes for smaller churches, but like all things, it's temporary. And then it's uh, just part of regular church life. Yeah. And that's, I'm actually really glad that you talked about that transition because I wanted to ask you about the importance of innovating in our churches, that it's very uh, easy to gravitate towards what has always worked or what has worked in the past or the things that we learned in Bible college or through mentorship. But our world is constantly changing. And, and, and if we're going to be able to keep up with the people we're trying to reach, we need to be willing to innovate as well. But so, so I want to kind of throw it to you. Why do you think that it's so important for our churches to be able to innovate uh, as our society changes and as our culture changes? Well, here's the bottom line, Travis. We're living through the biggest communication shift in 500 years. And the last time that happened was the printing press, you know, late 1400s. The first book ever printed was a Latin language Bible. And, you know, by 1500, there were 20 million volumes of books that were printed across Western Europe. And that eventually led to the Protestant Reformation. And it led to still to this day, the Bible being the most widely sold and distributed book of all time. And so Christians and and Christianity has a pretty strong history of embracing shifts within communication and leveraging these timely mediums to share a timeless message. And we're living through another one of these wild shifts right now. And I like to say that you know, we're pioneers in a new land. We've discovered all the real land on earth. And if you came to Canada, where I'm from, for instance, as a pioneer, you were uh, up for some rude awakenings when winter came around and half of your tribe died. And then the other half lived and then they learned next year, okay, we got to make some changes. And then a couple died. And then the next year, maybe no one died, but it still wasn't very good. And, you know, 200 years later, we've got civilization. But... <laughs> We're going through that right now. IGTV was announced the, yesterday when we were recording this. It's a brand new social platform from Instagram. We got to figure it out. No one really knows what we're doing. But at the end of the day, the way we see it is that attention is the most valuable commodity that your church can possess. You know, we like to think as churches, and I agree, we're sharing the greatest story of all time. But if no one's paying attention to that story, it doesn't really matter whether it's eternity with Christ or a discounted oil change, because if no one can hear that message, it does not matter if it's the ShamWow or Jesus. And, and so understanding where attention is being paid is really the first step to accomplishing our church's vision and mission and, and reasons for existence. And so church attendance is in decline. 
Two in 10 millennials, according to Barna, think church attendance is important. Two out of three millennials who have attended church in the past are no longer attending. And if you look at macro trends across all age groups, not just millennials, and the only reason I mention millennials is because they're currently the largest cohort in the American workforce. So there's just so many of them. But even if you look at macro attendance trends, uh, by, if, if current trends continue, by 2050, church attendance is expected to be about half of as what it was in the 1990s, at least in America, from 20% down to 10%. And if you're in Canada, like I am, the UK, Australia, those numbers are almost certainly going to be lower. And so if people are attending live services less because we're living through the biggest communication shift in 500 years, we as churches have two options. We can bury our heads in the sand and say, you know what, we're going to be the ones that break the trend. We are going to curb that. It's not going to be us. Or we can say, look, a Sunday live service is great, but it's not the only way we can accomplish our mission statements. And this is why understanding why we do what we do as churches is so important. We don't do church so we can have four songs and a message on a Sunday. That's vehicles and mediums to accomplish our reasons for existence as churches. The reasons that we exist as churches, in my experience, can be summed up by the words of Jesus in the greatest commandments and the great commission. And we all may phrase it differently, but at its core, we're all trying to do the same thing, Travis. It's love God, love others, and make disciples. And so when we understand that that's the foundation for what we're trying to do, now the question is, okay, Is the one-hour live experience meeting on a Sunday in a building the best way to accomplish that? Is it the only way to accomplish that? And as the world continues to change, and as every industry is being disrupted, we have to recognize that our churches are not immune to this. You know, three examples I like to use are Blockbuster, Toys R Us, and Sears. In the early 2000s, Netflix approached Blockbuster and asked Blockbuster, can you acquire us? Because we are sending people DVDs through the mail. We're bleeding money. You are the king. Take us out of our misery and buy us. And Blockbuster was like, nah, bruh, you're on your own. And if Blockbuster, Sears, Toys R Us, if they had asked themselves the question, how would we rent movies, sell appliances, sell toys if our physical spaces didn't exist? maybe those three companies would no longer be extinct as they are today. And similarly, I think our churches need to begin asking ourselves a question. What would we post online if our Sunday services didn't exist? How would we accomplish our mission and vision, purpose for existence, if our Sunday service wasn't a reality? And those thought exercises can be really helpful to understanding this communication shift. And once we understand the why, then we can get to the what. Yeah, and and the thing that I'm so excited about with this shift in our communication, how we've we've really started to to come into a mature internet platform where a majority of the people we're trying to reach are going to be connected in similar places. There's so many opportunities to reach people in ways that they we've never been able to before. That before, if you wanted to get people to come out to your church, you had to literally knock on their door and hope that they answered it, and you could convince them. But now you can provide videos, training, teaching, stories through the mediums that they're already at and allow that to be your first interaction with them when they, they, they get to come to church on, from, a, from a place of feeling really comfortable with why they're there and excited about engaging instead of just hoping they don't stick out like a sore thumb. Um, do you have any really cool stories of uh, Christians or churches that are doing this really well where leveraging technology has made a huge impacts on the health and the growth of their church group? Yeah, we told a story on our daily podcast, Pro Church Daily, 
uh, we recorded it just this week. It should be going live next week when we're recording this. And it was a church of 90 people from Shepherdsville, Kentucky, which is a town of 1800. And the reason I'm using this example is because we think, you know, we got to be like Elevation. We got to have five time, five full-time staff members running our social media to crush this. And Elevation is dominating this. And if you want to see a giant church doing it, look at them. But you can be a tiny church in a tiny town and do it as well. So this church has been around for three years. The first Sunday, they had six people. And it was just the husband and wife, pastoral partners and team that were running it, paying for the community center out of their own pocket. End of 2017, their church was 90 people. And that's when they really decided to do a deep dive into digital and social for their church. So they filled out the Google My Business profile so that when someone searched for a church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, they would show up and their Google business profile with reviews and their email address and their phone number and pictures of their church and their service times would all show up there. Another thing they started doing was daily Facebook live devotionals. So this is a great example of if our Sunday service didn't exist, how would we fulfill our mission statement? Well, instead of just using social to say, come to our Bible study, why don't you use social to do the Bible study? Because there's more attention on Facebook, seven out of every 10 American adults is on there, than there are in your Bible studies. And again, this, you don't need to be a big church to do this. You also don't need to be a young and trendy church. Google released a report, boomers and seniors on average spend 19 hours online each week. 97% of people 50 and under are online. And so if I'm being generous and say that the average person in your church spends an hour at church each week, and we know that's not true, you know, only 25% of Americans attend church at least three out of every eight Sundays. So that's not even every other Sunday. So let's say, for argument's sake, the average person in your church spends one hour a day, a week, pardon me, in your church. Well, they're spending 20 hours, even older people online. So it's not a stretch to say that the people in your church and community are spending 20 times more time online than in your church. And so I think this church from Shepherdsville, Kentucky really understood that. They started doing these Facebook Live daily devotionals. They leveraged online and searched so that people could find them online. And here's what's amazing, Travis, in just six months from the end of 2017 to you know end of June, 2018, when we're recording this, they've seen more than 100 first-time visitors this year alone, and their church has grown from 90 to 170 in just six months using online search and social media. It's a no-name church. No one has ever heard of them, and no one probably ever will. But that's the thing. 90% of churches in America are 350 people or less. 50% of churches are 100 or less. And we look up to these giant churches, and, and that's not a bad thing. They're crushing it. But most churches will never be that size dare I say it, most churches should never be that size. We need a diversity. And so you can be a small church and do this. You can be an old church and do this. You can be a big church. You can be a young church. Technology and the internet does not discriminate. We're all on there. We can all use it. Absolutely. So, so let's say somebody's listening and they're not leading a church or leading a ministry, but they have you know, a desire to personally uh, share their faith, make an impact on the people that are friends with them online. What are some things that you've seen work with individuals in being able to help their friends either learn more about Jesus or come to faith or, or anything like that? Well, if we get into the topic of just how can I be a better disciple and how can I impact those around me with the hope and love of Jesus, when it comes to a communication standpoint, because obviously the best way is to just do life with them, share their burdens, be vulnerable with them so they can be vulnerable with you. So you can talk about how in your brokenness, you lean on Christ and they can see that in your life and how evident it is. And then the next time they're in that place, maybe they lean on Jesus as well. 
But when it comes to a pure communication standpoint, online, digital, storytelling is the most powerful form of human communication. And as much as I love empirical evidence, I mean, I've shared like 18 data points in this 20 minutes of this podcast so far. (laughs) As much as I love empirical evidence and like proving that something is true, or at least proving that it's most likely to be true, when it comes to the existential matters of the heart and eternity, hope and purpose and community and Jesus, usually, (laughs) at least if you're not like a sociopath like I am, data is not going to be the thing that's convincing someone that that is true. And so this is where storytelling is the most powerful form of human communication. It's the only form of human communication that births empathy in another. So when I talk about, you know, a struggle in my marriage and how we didn't know if we were going to make it, and then, you know, we went to therapy and we've uh, seeked out Jesus individually. We came back stronger as individuals and now our marriage is stronger than ever. And how Jesus was the root and the string that was through all of that, that births empathy, uh, empathy in another person. And, and that's the best way to communicate online. And so there's two really pillars here. One, be vulnerable. We're all going through so many things. There's a quote by Brene Brown that always sticks out to me. And she says, like, everybody has a story that if you heard it would bring you to your knees. And there are some things that we can't talk about, but there are so many things that we choose not to talk about for the sake of protecting our reputation or protecting this persona we're trying to craft. And social, for all of its qualities, does have its flaws, and it can lead us to want to create this persona where everyone thinks that we're awesome. And I try to be as much as I can a proponent and an advocate for true authenticity and not just sharing the highlight. And someone just needs to lead with vulnerability. Someone needs to go first. And so you as a leader in your church even if you're not on staff, even if you're just a person that attends, you serve in the kids ministry, you volunteer, you know, during the potlucks, whatever it might be, you can lead with vulnerability and be the person that steps out first. It's like everyone has all these things that they want to say, but no one wants to be the first person. That's why leaders are leaders. They go ahead and they do the things that are difficult. And so I love that three word phrase. I use it all the time, leading with vulnerability, because the second you're vulnerable, you give others the permission. You allow them to be vulnerable. And now you're talking about real things. And at the heart of all real things is Christ because all truth is God's truth. And when we get to the real matters of the heart and the existential matters of life, Jesus is at the root of all of those. And so it le- it, 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 the two words, the two big takeaways, leading with vulnerability and storytelling, telling your story, the good, the bad, the unfinished. I love that. So practical. Uh, and I think it's just, it's something that we can overthink a lot where it's like, how do I perfectly create or manifest this, this super evangelism weapon? And, and I got to wait until it's absolutely perfect to, to talk about Jesus or to talk about my faith with people that I don't see every day or, or to feel comfortable in my own skin. And so I think it's so practical just to start with being honest and open and vulnerable. And it's definitely scary to put yourself out there on the internet and, you know, you're not sure exactly who's going to see it, but, but I think the cool thing about being vulnerable and even just admitting our weaknesses, you know, admitting that we're not perfect is that that allows God's power to come in and make us complete that trying to pretend like we have it all together or that we never wrestle with temptation or that we never fall into sin as Christians. It's not only inauthentic, it's not true and it doesn't help the people that we want to help. And so I, I totally agree with you. The vulnerability is super important and makes such a big difference. I mean, at its core, when it comes to the Christian faith, the core is I 
need a savior. I am not enough on my own and I need someone else. If we on social live out a perfect persona, we're robbing Jesus of his heroism. We're robbing Jesus. We don't need a savior. If everything's great, Jesus is not necessary. And so vulnerability is a requirement. It's a prerequisite for introducing Jesus into the lives of others because you have to first introduce Jesus into your own life. And so if we are unwilling to share the dark and the gritty and the unfinished and the imperfect and the stuff, the flaws and the blemishes that we wish were there, but they are there for everyone. And you were right. It's hard. That's why it's called leading with vulnerability because someone has to be the leader. And what happens and the reason vulnerability is hard is it's because like you're holding a shield in front of you and leading with vulnerability is you taking down that shield throwing it to the ground and saying, this is who I am. The second you do that, you expose yourself to being hurt, to being taken advantage of. And this is why we as followers of Jesus need to truly understand who we are and have self-awareness of our belonging and our identity in Christ so that when I drop that shield and I lead with vulnerability, those that do choose to take advantage and those that do choose to hurt me, I recognize as those are hurt people hurting others. And I know who I am and I can take that because I'm leading with vulnerability. I recognize that's going to be a necessity. That's a byproduct of that action. But I know who I am and I know what I'm trying to accomplish. And at the end of the, and, uh, at the, end of the day, if one out of every 10 people takes advantage, but nine out of the other 10, you know, get a little bit closer to Jesus, then, then that's well worth it. And that's where, again, being a leader comes into play. Yeah, it's hard. Do you want to be a leader or not? Because someone's got to do it. So I want to switch gears a little bit. And I want to ask you about the balance of doing, doing ministry or really, this, this is more of a full-time ministry question. Um, having Christianity be your job, I think is a really interesting scenario where, where it's, it can be difficult to separate what you do and your, your performance metrics that you're tracking and how you want your business or your ministry to grow and, and keeping that separate from your identity in Christ and your personal relationship with God. Are there any strategies that you use or things that you do to make sure that your relationship with God does not become defined by your, your business or your ministry success? If for me, one of the huge proponents, especially because my brand is entirely online or at least 90% online is I have very, very strong, intimate, personal, and completely open relationships with a number of people, whether that be my wife, and then a number of close guy friends, like three or four, where there's no holds barred. We share everything with each other. Because without that, I think I'd be putting myself in a vulnerable position where I'm crafting this persona online, but then there's nothing of substance underneath. And so I make sure that those relationships exist. And all of those relationships existed before I ever had a brand or before I had, you know, a successful business before people knew me online. And to be fair, there's only like, it's still very few people that know me online. <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, so, but, but for them, like there's no luster, like, Oh, he makes this much money or people think that he's X or Y. It's like, yeah, this is Brady. Okay. He's a nobody from nowhere. He's my buddy. And I'm not going to hold back when it comes to making sure that he underneath is what he's proclaiming and you know portraying online and so i think that's a huge part of it and then also self-awareness is such a valuable tool that i think the more we have the better we are for it and so recognizing your own blind spots 
and, and, and trying your best to identify your weak spots and, and where you're not living the way that you should. And if you can identify those yourself, you can evaluate on the fly and, and course correct as much as possible. And then it also just comes to the same old, same old, you know, daily meditation and daily, you know, listening to the word, reading the word, listening to music, singing music, bad music, singing in the car, whatever it might be, talking to Jesus and really actively living out what he's saying to you. And so three pillars right there to summarize on a little bit of a long-winded answer. One, like real relationships that make sure there's substance underneath what you're portraying from your platform online or in real life. You know, number two, real relationship with Jesus. And then uh, number three, I forget already. What was number three? There was a middle one there. <laughs> Staying in your Bible and, and doing all of the other necessary things to make sure we, we continue to grow. Right. Yep. It was, it was well put when you said it. So, <laughs> And then I tried to summarize for the sake of, uh, you know, being concise and it, it all got away from me. So, you know, a- end of day Friday, we're recording this. That's all right, man. <laughs> so, so I wanted to ask you as we're wrapping up, just got a couple more questions for you. Uh, are there any th- things that you like to do that you would consider to be unique that you do to stay close to God on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, at least in the evangelical Protestant world, I mean, meditation would be a little bit unique. So I'm recording this in my in my studio right now in our office space. So this is where we record all podcasts and all of our video content. And this is the table right behind me that I don't imagine listeners can see, but I'll describe. There's a table behind me and it's right next to a giant wall of windows. And this is where I come in in the morning. I get to work before everyone else, you know, between 5 and 6 a.m. Team comes in around 9 a.m. Did I say PM? Five to six AM. Team comes in at nine AM. And and so I spend, you know, the early morning just just God and me. And so a lot of it is just uh you can probably hear it through my voice, but you know, I, I'm a pretty high strung individual, like, you know, lots of moving thoughts, you know, ADHD as a kid. And so I think practicing slowing down. And so I'll just take, you know, really deep breaths. I'll do 10 seconds breathing in, and I'm just gonna be imagining that I'm I'm breathing in the love of God because I need that today. And then I'll, you know, I'll hold it for 10 seconds and then I'll exhale for 10 seconds real slow. And that's me. I'm breathing out the love of God to the, to the people, friends and family around me today because they need it as well. And hopefully I can be a conduit to that. And so that's one thing that has been really helpful, you know, mindfulness, meditation, centering prayer, those types of practices that are a bit unusual. And then I also think it's really important to have something that's an escape from your work. And so I think in the church world, and I'm not directly in day-to-day vocational ministry, but I have many friends who are, and I was for a while, and that's where I did my formal education. It's really hard to disconnect sometimes because you're doing real work with people, and it can be really difficult, matters of the heart, heavy, weighty issues. And so, and in business, it's like, there's always something wrong, you know, oh, well, this is how much money we made this month. And these are the expenses. Oh, this is broken. This is still broken. This will never be fixed. This is a problem. It's always a problem. The bigger you are, there's more problems. My dad was a firefighter and I said, I'm not going to be a firefighter. And then I ran a business and I'm always putting up fires. So (laughs) metaphorical fires, at least there's that. But, and so for me, basketball, you know, being a fan of the NBA is a huge escape, you know, listening to basketball podcasts and, and watching basketball games. It's like, I don't really ever not work except for when I'm doing that or when I'm with my family. And when I'm with my family, you know, I'm giving still a lot with 
basketball, I'm just taking, taking, taking. And that's a great escape because it gives me breathing room and margin with something I enjoy that is completely separate from work. And I think if you're a pastor, you might be like me and have a little entrepreneurial spirit in you. And it's kind of your habit, your style to take anything, even as a hobby and be like, how can I turn this into work? And so (laughs) I think it's good to have something that is not like that. And so for me, that's basketball. Very cool. Are there any resources or tools that you uh, go to or that you like to use when you're trying to go deeper in your Bible study? Deeper in my Bible study tools that I like to use. I mean, I'm a huge fan of podcasts. So, you know, it's, it's podcast, podcast, podcast. Um, and then, you know, books are great. I haven't used commentaries in a while, but definitely podcasts, I would say. Do you have like a top three? Top three. The liturgist is up there for sure. Um, Pete Enz's new one is really good. I like those two. Those two are probably the main ones alongside all the other basketball podcasts. If you want to talk about basketball podcast recommendations, I have no shortage. (laughs) Although that likely wouldn't deliver any value to your audience. So you're right. (laughs) That's all right, man. I appreciate, appreciate the honesty. All right. uh, Last serious question before we wrap up, what advice would you give to someone who wants to make an impact for God? Man, I think that there's no virtue or fault being born in this generation, in this time of the world. Uh, But I think there's a lot of advantages to being born and living through this giant communication shift. And the biggest one is that we now have access to people and sharing messages with people in unprecedented and unrivaled ways in human history. And I think it's easy to take it for granted on a day-to-day basis. But for instance, for me, I'm a 27-year-old kid from nowhere, Canada. And in the last five years, I've built a multi-million dollar business, built an office, hired 10 of my closest friends to work here. And now we do the work that we love most in the world, helping churches, creating art, And we get to do it and be paid for it. And all that happened because of the internet. And that can be demonstrated again and again in every industry. And so there's so much opportunity to reach people in ways that were not possible for the decades and decades and generations and generations of people that came before us. And so as much as we can, I think taking advantage of that is an amazing privilege and a responsibility. I think about the Apostle Paul and the early disciples and they're writing letters. And I don't even know how they're getting them from, you know, Paul to Thessalonica and Corinth and Philippi. However, I don't know, a bird or someone's walking. If those early Christians understood the tools that we have now, they would be like, those are much more efficient than what we were using back then. And so I think that's an advantage that we have. And sure, there are disadvantages that come along with it. But when it comes to making an impact for God, you know, the personal relationships with your family, your spouse, partner, kids, and friends is going to be the most important thing you can ever do. But then when it comes to amplifying your, your life and your relationship with Jesus to the rest of the world, the tools we have now, never existed in human history. That's a thing that I'm really grateful for. Me too. Me too. Where are the best places for people to connect with you guys on the internet? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to me personally, Instagram, I'm really, really active there responding to direct messages. So if you want to get in touch with me directly, Instagram is the place to do it at Brady Shearer. Just my name, Brady Shearer. Shearer is like a shearer of sheep. 
it is a word in the Bible, so you should probably know it if you're reading scriptures the way you should. Mm-hmm. That's right. Sheep Called shearing out. shame late in the podcast. <laughs> uh, and then our website is just prochurchtools.com. That's the home base for everything we do. Awesome. Well, Brady, it's really it's been really cool to see all you guys are doing, all the ways that you are pushing the envelope and trying new things and figuring out how can we be more effective in spreading the gospel in the 21st century. And so I'm definitely looking forward to seeing everything else coming down the pipeline for you guys and appreciate you taking the time to jump on the podcast with me. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's been a blast, Travis. Thanks for the invite. So this is the first time you guys have heard that conversation, but I've already listened to it several times because there's just so many good takeaways. Some of the things that I loved from this conversation was hearing about his morning routine, how he prepares himself for the day, making sure he's in the right frame of mind to honor God and to serve the people around him. And I also love how, you know, as we dug into the practicals that every single Christian can use, that uh, you don't have to be in the full-time ministry to be an effective witness for Jesus. You just have to be vulnerable and share your story. And that's something that is so accessible and something each of us can do and make an impact with our friends and family. And uh, just like always, I left links in the details for this episode in the show notes for everything we talked about for the podcasts that Brady mentioned, as well as his social media handles. So you can go check out him and Pro Church Tools. And if you are a ministry leader, if you are either in the full-time ministry leading a church or just leading a small group, there are so many great practical resources available at ProChurchTools.com. I highly recommend you go and check them out. And uh, and then make sure when you go follow Brady on Instagram to say hi and let him know you heard him on the podcast so we can give some extra love. Now on next week's interview, I get to sit down with one of my personal mentors, Jack Frederick. We've talked about mentoring on the podcast uh, in, a previous, in previous episodes, and so what I wanted to do is give you kind of a behind the scenes of the kinds of things that I talk about with one of my mentors. Jack has been a really close friend and advisor to me for almost 10 years now, so close that he even officiated my wedding. So you could say we have a pretty good relationship, but uh, we go really deep, get really vulnerable about, vulnerable about the things that he uh, challenges me on in my own personal life, and I think so many great takeaways for all of us. Here is a sneak peek of my interview next week with Jack. But the biggest way we make disciples is build great friendships and show ourselves to be reliable friends. And that's what Jesus said to his disciples that last night. He said, I don't call you servants any longer. I call you friends because that's what you become. And we need to look at every person we meet and how we can build a friendship with them. Not even just so we can baptize them because if we do that, if they don't get baptized, we're going to walk away and go chasing someone else and right. forget we're supposed to be friends with them. But if we continue to be friends after that person turned away from us, they're going to remember that, even if it's 12 years later or 20 years later. Well, that is it for today. Make sure to smash that subscribe button to get access to daily practical advice. Leave a review in Apple Podcasts for your chance to get a shout out as the super fan of the week. And make sure to tune in tomorrow to hear my biggest takeaway from my interview today with Brady. Every day is an opportunity to grow closer to God and make a positive impact on the people around you. Take action with what you've learned and help make the world a little more like heaven. I'm Travis Albritton, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.